With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Welcome to this, another edition of the Underdog Football Show. My name is Josh Norris. His name is Hayden Winks. Hayden, some coaches, Bill Belichick, some great ones league-wide. Heck, even Matt LaFleur. Know how to adjust midseason. That's what you and I are doing here on our Instant Reactions Power Ranking Show. We're combining the two. How do you feel? You feel good about how this might go for the next hour? Yeah, we're going to be trying it out, but I think it's a good premise. What we're going to do is we're, we have ranked, Josh and I have ranked teams 1 through 32. And in order of those teams, that's how we're going to recap the games. Yeah, the reasons why I like this is I think it's going to help Josh and I with the structure. It also makes us come down with an opinion on every single team in a row. And we'll track it uh, throughout the rest of the week. It, it was very hard. I mean, this top 10 is like all over the place. I was tinkering with this for like 30 minutes. Yeah, but then after that, you can kind of just throw away your pencil and not want to rank any of those teams. Uh, a couple more details. Again, yes, as Hayden alluded to, the power rankings, which we go 1 through 32, lead into the instant reactions for each game that we just witnessed during Sunday. We were recording this during Sunday Night Football. So that means the likes of the Cleveland Browns, the, the Baltimore Ravens, obviously Monday Night Football, the Seattle Seahawks, Washington football team. All of those opinions and, and rankings are based on what these teams have done so far. We will not factor those into, yes, this very show, or else we'd be time travelers, and I'd be up a lot of money in my wallet. Um, so, yes, we're going to lead off with number one, and let's say they play, you know, the 16th team. Then we'll lead into that team and talk a little bit about what we learned from their games on Sunday, what they did well, the players, the usage, the details, the narratives, all that good stuff. Just a different way of kind of framing our instant reaction shows rather than trying to, I don't know, Summarize each and every yep. drive, each and every game, and each and every quarter. We're going to get bigger picture. We don't have to tell you what happened on the, in the third quarter play. We can say, hey, who, how does this team factor into the playoff picture? Some might say zoom out. Some yes. might say, you know, the macro. All of it. All the little words oh, yeah. we love. Okay, let's start this off. Week 12 power rankings with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You and I both have at number one. Yes, on Sunday, beat the Indianapolis Colts 38 231. Hayden, what stood out to me? A comeback win here for the Patriots. I think at one point down 14 to three, at halftime 24 to 14. The band is back together. Tom Brady, Leonard Fournette, and Rob Gronkowski. And it looked beautiful here with 38 points against a Colts team that was on absolute fire prior to this game. So the Colts to me earned a lot of respect in this game for keeping this game 
very close all the way to the very end. There was two big differences for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Number one is the return of Rob Gronkowski. He was the best player on the field. To me, there was some seam routes. There was a uh, third and eight ball to the flats. We had to break a couple tackles for a first down. There was a, a wheel route where he caught the ball and trucked people. And you can just do so much in the ground game as well with Gronk, Gronk ready to go. And that led to the four goal line touchdowns for, for Leonard Fournette. Just a monster game for the Bucks offense. Tom Brady wasn't perfect. He only had a 5.9 A dot because the Colts were letting him just take things underneath it. Um, it wasn't the cleanest game, but the fact that the Bucks went into Indianapolis and were able to hang 38 points and they're the Super Bowl uh, um, champs from last year, you have to go number one in the power rankings right now. What stood out to me, though, is the Colts had them exactly where they wanted them where, you know, being up by 10 points, 12 points, whatever it was early in this game. And, and often that should absolutely be where a team like the Colts could hammer and keep down arguably, you know, the best quarterback in the league, one with the best roster in the NFL, defending Super Bowl champions. And yet the Bucks find a way to do it. And Robert Gronkowski, you know, being reinserted back into this team, 10 targets, seven receptions, 123 yards. So many of those difficult receptions as well over the middle of the field instantly being hit. He looked like he was back. I mean, they're eight and three right now. The Bucs are. And what what stuns any time that you watch the Bucs is just how young Tom Brady looks, how he's managing the pocket, how his arm looks absolutely stronger than ever. So while Indianapolis got to him a few times with two sacks, while he did throw an interception, yes, while he only had 226 yards, we bring it up with so many of these teams, and I would put the Bucks at number one where they can beat you in so many ways. And Leonard Fournette, why he'd gone like a month without a touchdown, now scoring four and not even having Antonio Brown back in the fold too, no doubt in my mind, the Bucks should be ranked at number one. And then on the other side of the ball, they were winning with just a couple star performances. Vita Vea came in early, had a couple stops against Jonathan Taylor. And actually, in, at one point in this game, there was uh, Jonathan Taylor got a carry with six minutes and 30 seconds, 37 seconds left in the second quarter. Then his next carry didn't happen until 10 minutes in the fourth quarter. 26 minutes of actual NFL gameplay between Jonathan Taylor carries. And that's because... This freaking Bucks run defense is just so strong up the middle. They yeah. also got a strip sack from Shaq Barrett. There was a 50-50 ball where Carson Wentz threw it up to Michael Pittman way downfield. Anton Winfield comes up and basically mosses Michael Pittman, who I think has like six or seven inches on him. And that was a huge play. So um, the Bucks secondary is still pretty banged up. Jameel Dean came came in and had an injury in the first quarter here again. But when this team gets their secondary healthy for the playoffs – I mean, it's, we're going right back to where we were in the offseason. We're like, what is the flaw to this team if they're going to get secondary performances, um, especially with Shaq Barrett just having another monster game? The Colts, nothing to laugh at, nothing to be ashamed of. Again, taking the Bucks down to this low uh, on, on the scoreboard in terms of the clock. They come in at number nine for us, Hayden. Theoretically, if we were doing these over the last month, no team would have moved up more for me at least, in the last four weeks than what the Indianapolis Colts have put up there. For some reason, when Carson Wentz is tied to Frank Reich, the trebuchet never misses. And the trebuchet was on fire, throwing darts down the field when he needed to. It wasn't just a Jonathan Taylor game, as you alluded to. I mean, 16 carries for 83 yards and a score. That's great against the Bucs. That's average for him almost any other week of this entire season. So, so much of this game was put on Wentz's shoulders 306 yards, three touchdowns, 
but he did have two interceptions, including a very, very important one to Antoine Winfield down the field that he won in a one-on-one situation. The Colts were able to move the balls. It was just the turnovers, and they were avoiding turnovers probably just due to positive variance and just some some fortune early on the season. They ended up having five today, including a muffed punt from Naeem Hines, uh, a couple of really mistimed throws in here. But even with all those five turnovers, they still had 31 points on offense. So yeah, Carson Wentz definitely has improved. This was one of his uh, worst games just because of a couple key plays that kind of flipped this ball game. But the fact that they were able to hang up 31 points against the Bucs was uh, enough to kind of solidify me as like right now, if it was Titans versus Colts, the Colts should be massive favorites over the Titans and the rest of the AFC South. Yeah. I think that um, I, I want the the Colts to have a playoff berth. I think that they're one of the best or one of the top 10 right around that ranking um, going into the playoffs. And I think that they I've seen enough from Carson Wentz to at least take him somewhat serious for the rest of the season. There's kind of a lot of teams that try to have the identity of what the Colts have at the moment with, you know, banking so much into their offensive line, having a fantastic running back. And arguably you can put John Taylor at the top of any list right now of running backs in the NFL. And then having a quarterback that can hit downfield throws and Hayden, while that wasn't working at all, to start the season. So much of that was the ankle injuries we talked about with Carson Wentz. I even saw like a 15 yard scramble on third down today. That was incredibly important. And like maybe even more optimistic about them moving forward. Uh, They can just win how they want to, like how they were built is how they are going to be successful. It wasn't today, but it was so, so close to it. And a couple turnovers here, there, like Naeem Hines had today are real game changers because you can't have that against such a well-constructed and well-run organization right now like the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, and just on top of the, what Frank Reich's done for Carson Wentz in particular, just what he's doing with aggressiveness, there was a, a, a fourth and one um, right next to the goal line with 20 seconds going into uh, a halftime and he decides to go for it, even though they had a lead, they get a T Y Hilton touchdown um, on a quick out route. So like he's putting the team in positions to win with being aggressive. Yes. They're run first, but when it's a punt or a go for it or field goal, there's only a few coaches that are in the Frank Reich tier. And I think that's going to be helping them out when these games get pretty close. Now question. We're looking at Carson Wentz's passing chart right now on YouTube. If you're listening to us on the podcast feed, I mean, there are, Four passes, five that are 20 plus yards down the field, maybe more than that. Let's say six. Two are completed, just regular completions. One's for a touchdown, and then two interceptions. Was there uh, options? Was he able, Carson Wentz, to just eliminate those two interceptions on the left hand side? I know he gave, you know, his wide receiver an opportunity against Antoine Winfield, and that should, you know, that's a true 50 50 ball that the smaller safety um, was, was able to come down with. Do you remember the other one as well? I mean, because these are just little things that if Carson Wentz eliminated from his game, one, he would not be Carson Wentz, but two, the Colts might win more games. Yeah, the, the first one that you're talking about, that was basically not his fault. It was just like one-on-one coverage deep downfield. And I think it was actually like a third and 10 or something too on top of it. So yeah, it was there was an, also a fumble. The, the Naeem Hines fumble was the key one. That was like the most important turnover because that gave the ball to the Bucs at like the 20-yard line. And that was kind of like... I don't really believe in momentum, but that was kind of like the, oh, shit, the Bucks are probably going to come back and win this game now. And that was the truly cost, costly one. And that's that was unfortunate because 90 Mines actually had, I thought, an okay game. There was a huge blitz, blitz pickup um, in the two-minute drill situation for a first down. That kind of led to a touchdown. So, yeah, they're 
just a couple plays away from pulling off this upset, but the fact that they were just in this game and moving the ball constantly is good news, even though there was a couple turnovers. And coming up for the Indianapolis Colts, Houston Texans, New England Patriots, Arizona Cardinals, and then you close that with the Raiders and the Jaguars. They're six and six right now, second in the AFC South. We're going to get to the Titans here in the moment, but like the two teams are really trending in opposite directions, despite you know the Titans, I believe, going two wins in their direction in their head-to-head matchups this season. All right, number two for us in our power rankings are also a team that played this week. Yes, the Green Bay Packers. They beat the Los Angeles Rams. In Green Bay, 36 to 28. Aaron Rodgers, 28 of 45, 307, two touchdowns. Uh, he and Devontae Adams are just inevitable. There was that whole shot down the left sideline. And what stands most out here is the Packers are dealing with so many injuries defensively and especially along their offensive line. And while we'll go through injuries and how they alter teams as we go through this list, Hayden, somehow the Packers are still so consistent. They are able with, you know, their MVP quarterback who can make unreal throws by falling away. He can make quick decisions. He can move off his second, his first read that he latches onto for way too long and snap throw it to a guy right over the middle. And then you're connected to LaFleur who, right now has the highest winning percentage in NFL history. Again, all of this plus great skill position talent is able to mask exactly why they are overcoming all the injuries that other teams cannot. They're deep everywhere. And there was a key part at the end of this game. There was a sideline reporter noted that they think that they're going to get Jair Alexander and Zadarius Smith back after this bye week, Aaron Rodgers should be a little bit healthier after the bye week as well. Same thing with Aaron Jones. Aaron Jones came in and definitely was the one B behind AJ Dillon. But I think this AJ Dillon stuff is pretty interesting because this is like a really power running offense all of a sudden. And that's a new little wrinkle that the the Packers are the last couple seasons with Rodgers that they didn't have. And I think that like between the two AJ Dillon or Aaron Jones, I think for like the first time in a while, I think that they should keep AJ Dillon on the field more even more than Aaron Jones. A.J. Dillon has looked very smooth as a pass catcher. I think he has 11 catches in the last two games, and they're one of these teams. There's only a couple in the league that can beat you passing the ball or running the ball, and that's going to keep them in any game, especially when their defense is already playing pretty well. They're going to get their two best players coming back probably in Week 13. And Aaron Rodgers just makes everyone else around him extremely talented. Like, Obviously, Devontae Adams would succeed just about anywhere in the NFL attached to any quarterback. I would say the same thing now with A.J. Dillon, as we've said, with with Aaron Jones. But when you have like Randall Cobb, who did absolutely nothing with the Houston Texans, and now he's running angle routes out of the backfield in the red zone, then also getting a 54-yard catch. You have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who last week had a 75-yarder, and this week was narrowly missing a couple more, plus he had a 28-yarder. I keep going on and on and on down the list, and I think – while Aaron Rodgers, you know, 10% of the time can take his own sacks and be hurt by his own offensive line, by his mistakes, the rest of the time he's making them better as well. And the defense is also dealing with injuries. And you outlined a few of those, yet Preston Smith gets unblocked and makes plays. Darnell Savage is making plays. Adrian Amos is stuffing Daryl Henderson at the line and, and, and making plays. Right now, the, the Packers are running so hot despite, you know, so much turmoil this season and this offseason. And it makes you really believe in them. And obviously saying at nine and three, the record indicates that as well. 
there's one play that I keep noticing from NFL offenses, and it's the angle routes out of the backfield. And it's not just with the running backs. Like AJ Dillon had one for a touchdown here, but it was like what you just said with Randall Cobb. I saw one with Justin Jefferson. There was a, a bunch of these are keep popping up where you just have put your one of your best playmakers out in the backfield. A linebacker or a safety is sitting there five yards off the line of scrimmage. He has to stand still and try to defend a receiver coming right at him that and he can break left or right or run right by you. I don't know how you, how you're going to defend that. So I think we're going to keep seeing that. And I think that I've seen it a lot out of the Packers. I think that just kind of shows you how uh, dialed in Matt LaFleur is right now. We still love the Rams. Eight point losers here. They still check it at number six in our power rankings after week 12. Matthew Stafford is going to catch some heat though. Hayden, is it deserved? 21 to 38, 302, three touchdowns. One interception. We've seen production like this, and I'm just telling you what I've already read here on Twitter in the 30 minutes we prepare for the show with with Jared Goff. I think that this offense looks quite different, and I would say actually the biggest difference from what we saw from the Rams with Matthew Stafford was way ahead in terms of his efficiency and what he added to his team early in the season versus what we're seeing now is the change in Robert Woods. And Robert Woods' injury is such an impact to this team where – the rushing game is worse, 20 carries for 68 yards. And just the chemistry he doesn't have there. I know he connected in a long touchdown with Odell, but we see it with Cooper Cup. We see it as Van Jefferson. And everyone just like all those moving pieces is making them adjust. Whereas at the start of the year, it was running so pure and it was running so hot. It's become a very boom bust offense. And that was not the case in the first five, six weeks. I wonder how much these injuries are holding Matthew Stafford back. We had the reports before this game that he had, was bothered by everything. You never know like what, how true any of those things are, but I will note that he was just plain like inaccurate. And there was multiple times, yeah. even like the, the two point conversion to Cooper cup in the back of the end zone was just brutally high. And Cooper cup was able to come down because he's been so good. But right now everything's just deep passing or garbage time stats. And that's it. And some of that consistency I'm sure is, could be pointed to because the lack of Robert Woods, who's been one of the most consistent players for like the last five years. So they need to get that, that back. Hopefully some of these Odell explosive plays can kind of turn into first down breakers instead of like waiting for four or five quarters for just a big play down the field. But I think, I think ultimately like I kept them ranked high because their ceiling is just so massive. And I think that give them a couple more weeks to get their star players up to full speed, Vaughn Miller and Odell that they're there's, they still have one of the highest ceilings in all football. I do wonder because the offense did look a little bit different early in the season. It felt like Sean McVay wanted to show how he could be different without Jared Goff. And we know with Jared Goff, so much of it was simple and it was easy and it was manufactured. Um, I kind of feel like at times Sean McVay is trying to make it a little too difficult and not throwing in some of the easy stuff. And maybe that's the quarterback. Maybe that's the offensive line. Maybe it's these new pieces, but like there was, it was what a third and three or or a fourth and three. And instead of running, you know, a package, a personnel grouping, a play that could get you short yardage conversion. It's a back shoulder throw to Odell Beckham along the right sideline that like the chemistry was totally off. Like there has to be a section in his playbook from the last five years that works wonders in those short yardage situations. And yet it's just not, I mean, those are the things that, you know, the the flows of drives 
that should be converted. And, and it just wasn't, and it hasn't been for a little bit. So while like when it's all hitting early on and we talk about the backside dig and we talk about all that good stuff, when everything is just empty and wide open and he's slinging it, when that starts to falter, when it's not as easy, when players get hurt, when it's December, whew, I do wonder if Sean McVay is going to start throwing easier stuff in there as we go along. Though. Yeah, I think I think they'll just figure it out. There's just too many too many star players on this team. Uh, a couple things on that defense. That defense lost Brandon Staley as their defense coordinator to the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers. They also lost a positional coach and Joe Barry to become the Packers defensive coordinator. So while we hear about Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, Jalen Ramsey, all those great pieces. The pieces are not, you know, being constructed into a great unit right now. And so while so often we talk about, you know, players, 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 talent, 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 those are two pretty big names and and two big names that uh, are doing pretty good things at their new positions and new roles as well. Yeah. Defenses regress partially because like, I would say like the fifth through seventh, fifth through eighth best uh, players on the defense lot from last year, all switched teams. So yeah, there was like a, a big depth hit. I think that it's obviously a probably a coaching downgrade as well. And that's been the difference between being the best defense and being like the 10th or 15th best defense. Arizona Cardinals check in for us at number three, technically a better record than some of the teams that are ahead of them here. Colt McCoy comes in for an injured Kyler Murray wins two of his three starts. That's exactly what you need from your backup quarterback in the NFL when 50% or more of the starts that he gets out there and you're cooking. Uh, we have seen DeAndre Hopkins be injured. We've seen Chase Edmonds be injured. So early on this season, Hayden, you and I talked so much that it's so balanced. It works so perfectly. The dynamic between Chase Edmonds and James Conner and DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk in the slot. And then you have AJ Green, the opposite side. We've seen them pick up injuries a little bit along the way, and it's kind of slowed them down. But hopefully in this back half, out of the bye week, it's going to help them a ton make this playoff and hopefully Super Bowl push. It seems like Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins are going to be healthy out of the bye, and then they go four deep, and they are going to have two running backs eventually when Chase Edmonds comes back in two weeks, and the defense is still playing out of their mind without that much talent in the secondary, but they're getting huge years out of Robert Alford um, and Chandler Jones, and just... It's just a very fun team to watch. They ha- they clearly are one of the best teams in the league. And it took me a couple of weeks for them to get there, but they're certainly at the top. Yeah, nine and two compared to the nine and three, and I think eight and three records that we have above them. Kansas City Chiefs also on a bye. Check in at number four for us. Concern, concern, concern for months. Now, is it all better? Have they applied the deodorant that has masked all the flaws, Hayden? They're only a half game out of the number one seed. And I think the biggest difference is it's Chris Jones moving to the interior, creating a lot of havoc the last game. And I think that Melvin Ingram being that, that pass rusher that they needed could be the difference for their defense, not being dead last. And uh, we'll see about CH if, if they can run with a little bit, a little bit of power and get defenses out of those two high soft shells. And all of a sudden this team just could be completely loaded. So this is just betting on the best is yet to come for the chiefs. And I think, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid deserve that. And pour a little salt on the sweetness that we're talking about the Chiefs right now because I have more concerns than you do. You have them them personally ranked higher than I do. I mean, only put up 13 points against the Packers, a Packers team that was led by Jordan Love. They only put up 19 points on the Cowboys prior to their bye week. 
that's not very many when we talk about such a great offense that I know it was in wins. And so we might forget about those when we get to December and, and January, but I need to see more. And obviously thrown in there was a 41 point shellacking of the Las Vegas Raiders, but I still have questions about all of it working to the degree that it has worked the last two years where it was truly, truly special. Yeah. It's, it's not the same special chiefs, but I think that they'll, they're just going to figure it out. Okay. Back to Thanksgiving. Let's talk about number five team, the Buffalo Bills, who I have a little bit higher, but we'll talk about that another time. 31 to six, they beat the New Orleans Saints. Hayden, it was kind of simple in the first half. 10 points, and then an absolute barn burner, barnstormer in the second half. 23 of 28, Josh Allen finishes, four touchdowns, two bad interceptions. But basically, if you throw in the interceptions plus like one or two incompletions, his day was like nearly perfect. We just talked about the Chiefs and maybe some struggles, some questions that we have about them. Um, but maybe we can say some of the same things about Josh Allen, how defenses are playing that. The two quarterbacks are are quite wildly different. The differences to me is I know Tredavious White is now down and out for the rest of the season, which is a huge deal for their defense. But I believe in the consistency of the Bills defense more so than the consistency of the Chiefs defense. Certainly agree. I, I do want to know just how big of a loss that is for Tredavious White. Sometimes the Bills go really aggressive with man defense, and that's the guy that they can have shadow everybody. And if you just look at coming into the year, where were they weakest at on any part of the ball? It was the secondary, and this is obviously a huge, huge hit. But yeah, it just comes down to is Josh Allen going to be able to figure out when teams go very soft coverage, if they, he can just sit there and dink and dunk and be patient. We've seen it at times. We've also seen some of the worst games of his career um, too. So it's just going to, hopefully they get Cole Beasley back to full health and they have enough skill, skill guys to make this thing work uh, all the way up to a Super Bowl run. If they can just kind of piece it together. Yep. Just comparing this team. Cause we kind of did this with the chiefs as well to last year. What the bills were was Josh Allen to Stefan Diggs to Cole Beasley to John Brown, some Gabriel Davis in there as well. But like when it got into the important moments in the playoffs, he was cast aside because his catch rate was so low. And then you had like some combo of Zach Moss and Devin Singletary. They've gotten more pieces involved this season. I mean, what Matt Breida has done in recent weeks of, you know, being an explosive element, especially inside the 30 and, and the 20 yard, 20 yard line. I mean, we saw him score another touchdown against the Saints. He had nine carries against the Saints as well. And then Dawson Knox has been at element here, two touchdowns, 32 yards. Would you view that as a good thing or, or a bad thing that it's taking away from some of those star players, like what we're seeing, minimizing and lowering the Stefan Diggs ceiling? Yeah, I mean, it's hurt for Stefan Diggs if you draft him in the first round of fantasy. But I think the, the presence of Dawson Knox, I think, is probably the biggest winner out of all the names you listed just because he can kind of switch up the game plans. We've seen the Bills, especially against that Chiefs game, where they completely changed their personnel. I've seen a six offensive lineman at a time. I've seen this H back and think that they can kind of use Dawson Knox as either a slot weapon or go into uh, more jumbo package, packages with him just because he's kind of taking the leap. And I think that's he's been the biggest difference because Colby is kind of taking a step back. Emmanuel Sanders has been pretty boom bust for, for this team. But Dawson Knox all of a sudden looks like one of the more athletic uh, receiving tight ends in the, in the league. Yeah. One final note. Their losses, week one to the Steelers, 23 to 16, which they dominated that first half. A bad loss to the Titans, 34 to 31. But that was when, obviously, Derrick Henry was in the fold. Lost the Jaguars, made no sense. Whooped on by the Indianapolis Colts. They're second in the AFC East right now. 
play the Patriots in two of their next four games. Also squeezed in there is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, this team might finish the season with seven losses, go 10 and seven. They're probably not going to get that bye week in the AFC as the number one seed. But again, from balance of offense to defense, uh, it's certainly a team that I I definitely, definitely believe it. Um, should we talk about the New Orleans Saints? Because we have to. That's what we're doing on the show. We have them at 24. Good news on their front. Alvin Kamara looks like he is coming back onto the field. Bad news on their front is that Trevor Simeon is out there remaining as the quarterback. It, it is just changing it completely. Like if, if Jameis Winston was still a part of here, they'd be so much more friskier because he's just a better player. And they're having to throw, you know, 13, 14, 15 times more per game with Simeon than they are Jameis Winston. And that's a formula for a losing effort and being in the bottom half of these rankings as well. Yeah, Ryan Ramchek is coming back, so that maybe is another boost for Simeon. But yeah, just Simeon throwing to these receivers, just not a good formula. It keeps their their ceiling just so low. Their defense could play well at times, but they like they had like Marcus Davenport injured. Um, it's just kind of been a very hit and miss unit overall. So yeah, the can't play bottom five quarterback and be ranked too high in this. No, you cannot. And their defense has fallen off a cliff in the last four or five weeks as well, even against the run, which uh, is typically their their best asset over the last five years. We mentioned the Rams being at number six. Let's now jump to what our first losing team and the Dallas Cowboys here we have as number seven. I am that idiot, Hayden, that continues to make excuses for the Dallas Cowboys despite their loss on Thanksgiving 36 to 33 to the Las Vegas Raiders. We saw Dak Prescott try to do everything. 375 yards on 47 attempts and two touchdowns. There was no Mark Cooper. There was no CeeDee Lamb. It seems like multiple times a season we've said no Tyron Smith, no Demarcus Lawrence, no Randy Gregory, so on and so forth. Where do you land on the Cowboys? And we might rank them higher than anyone else out there. And why? Just because... No team wins with their missing players. Like the top, their top players haven't played in the last month. So yeah, this is a bet on once it comes to the playoff time, they're going to have their two uh, pass rushers. They have obviously Micah Parsons emerging as a star player. They can create some big plays out of the secondary. And then when Amari Cooper, CD Lamb, and Michael Gallup are all out there, they're as deep as anybody. So this is just a bet on uh, injuries coming back and swinging in their favor in a couple of weeks. If I had to answer that question, I would say. We've said it a lot in the show that it's because they've shown us an ability to win in multiple ways in, in multiple games that becomes more difficult when you lose your second tight end, when you're among like the most successful in the league at 12 personnel and Blake Jarwin, they're still trying to do that, which is good. It's also more difficult. Like you said, you lose your best players in CD lamb and Amari Cooper. And so you can't just go out there and line up in 11 personnel and have a whole bunch of one-on-ones where you win. And Hey, now throw this out there gets to be a bit more difficult when Ezekiel Elliott's right knee apparently has been acting up for almost two months. He said it's something he's been dealing with for two months. He thinks it's gotten better. It gets stiff, different methods to work on the sideline. Tony Pollard is a great backup. Tony Pollard is a great like change of pace player. But you and I know how important Zeke is, not only short yardage, but also in pass pro situations. And he does look a touch slower than he was about two months ago. Yep, this m- makes total sense to me. Uh, there was a couple of reports that they might rest Zeke on Thursday Night Football, but Zeke said that he hasn't been um, asked about that by his own team. So I would guess he's going to be out there and probably be a little less effective as he was early on. But 
um, the, the Cowboys offense should really start clicking the next couple of weeks. Any concern on Dak? No. Or is it just that dreaded calf injury that is slowing down others as well? I mean, he had 375 passing yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. I I, yeah. I'm just asking the, the questions that, I know. that the people out there will want to be asked as well. Okay. Next up, number eight, another team that has flown up our power rankings, the New England Patriots at number eight. How and why are the Patriots so successful now, Hayden, versus what they were, I don't know, six weeks ago? They have the best point differential in the NFL, which still blows my mind. The the biggest thing has just been the offensive line getting better and Mac Jones just feeling more comfortable. And I think it seems like they're putting a little bit more on Mac Jones' plate. I think that he's kind of hitting some of the more of these like outside the numbers throws and a couple of these just touch passes are just beautiful stuff. So like right now, Mac Jones is 18th in EPA per play, six in completion percentage over expected. And they have one of the best run offenses in the NFL. And they're always going to be able to take away your best player on defense. And they've just been kind of nasty. And so like their linebackers, their defensive line, that was a problem last year. Like right now, all of a sudden they are just like, they're just stronger than you and they want to kick your ass more than you. And right now it's just like the perfect formula for a pretty, pretty nasty uh, Patriots team. And like, you have to give some credit to, to Mac Jones. I know a lot of it is just in structure stuff, yards after the catch, all that stuff, but you still got to put it on the money. And every single time I, I look at it, it's right on the money and they're just marching down the field. Yeah. I mean, Sundays win 36 to 13 over the eight and four Tennessee Titans. Now, different looking Titans team than what we saw from them six weeks ago. And arguably, if you watch that game, you would say, Hey, it wasn't Mac Jones best performance. In fact, we've probably seen better performances from like 150 yard Mac Jones versus a 310 two touchdown Mac Jones. But what you're saying is exactly right. And it makes sense when he's attached to a great coach, a good offensive line, great play callers as well is so often it's set up for him to succeed. And then in those plays that those are easy, but like the Kendrick Bourne four yard touchdown that I just showed, that's all on Mac. It was a yep. zero blitz. He recognized it. He hits his back foot, falls away, perfectly placed pass over the shoulder, boom, into the back of the end zone. And so while, yes, this is exactly what you want to happen. Good things that are manufactured, that are scripted, that are easy. And then when his name is called upon, he can deliver that. And we're seeing that from Mac Jones more and more and more. And we just went on and on about the passing game when that wasn't even the number one part about the Patriots because really, Hayden, today against the Tennessee Titans, they couldn't move them off the ball and only managed, you know, 24 carries for 105 yards and a touchdown, which the Patriots over the last month or so, it's kind of weak, kind of weak. Was the rotation the same as it was last week where Damian Harris starts and then Ramondre Stevenson comes in for the next drive and just kind of dependent on who finds the goal line touchdown? It was like 55% Damian Harris, 45% Ramondre Stevenson. Ramondre had one awesome carry that went for 19 yards. Damian Harris's 14-yard touchdown was like a bowling ball, bouncing off things and bumpers and then finding the end zone. Like without that, you know, you get 46 yards for Ramondre, 40 yards for Damian Harris, and, you know, not too much to get excited about. Like, But Kendrick Bourne is, is another player who's like found his niche, found his role, and I think what, since like week three or something, He's a top 20 scoring wide receiver out there. I mean, it's pretty incredible Damn. stuff what Kendrick Bourne is doing. Um, and Jacoby Myers is running more and more routes downfield. Uh, again, like 
these these little pockets of the season, three, four, or five weeks. We get that for the rest of the season in about five or six games, and then we get that in the playoffs as well. And each one of these pockets, we have seen improvements and changes from the Patriots. It wouldn't shock me at all if they wind up as like a top five team at the at the end of the season. They haven't even had their bye yet, you know. Yeah. Now I do want to talk about the team that they played in the Tennessee Titans. We have them at 19. And part of that is because of what happened in today's game. 39 carries for 270 yards. The Titans put out there, Hayden, and they lost by 23 points. I don't know how many times that has happened in the last 50 years of the NFL. Now, that's a little concerning when you consider the Patriots are pushed off the ball by a Titans offensive line, how they looked a bit slow when Dontrell Hillier goes for a 68-yard touchdown, slice them and dice them up the middle. Deontay Foreman goes 19 carries for 109 yards. Again, both backs go over the century mark. They were very, uh, not advantageous, but their timing for turnovers kind of changed the course of, of this game. They shut down the passing game completely. But I do wonder if if this is either just one game or something to track moving forward of, of the Patriots defense being susceptible to, to, to good running games. Yeah, I think I think they'll figure that out. I think it's just a couple of random big plays. I think just for the Titans, it's just Ryan Tannehill since Derrick Henry's injury, he has four passing touchdowns to seven interceptions, and they didn't even try to pass the ball in this game. They lost by a billion points, and they they're neutral. Or right now, I'm looking. It's 39 carries to 21 pass attempts, so they're not yeah. even trying. So until AJ Brown and Julio Jones come back, this offense is going to be really stuck in the mud. So this is impossible to rank. Like once those guys are back. Like we're obviously going to move the Titans up, but like for the meantime, like this offense is just beyond brutal right now. Right. But who knows when they're coming back? I mean, AJ Brown was just put an IR. So he's at least out for two more games. I think Julio Jones is just completed his second game on injured reserve and we've barely seen anything from him. So yeah, it's uh despite the record and potentially he can still make the playoffs. If they steal, I don't know, three more wins, they will get in for the rest of the season. But the current iteration of the Titans and like how I view these power rankings. It's like, who do I believe in the most right now? If X team played Y team at the top, who's going to win? And boom, that's how I order them. But the Titans rest away. It's the Jaguars, the Steelers, the 49ers, the Dolphins, and Texans. You can win three of those games. You can beat the Jaguars. You can beat the Dolphins. You can beat the Texans. And you find yourself in the playoffs. Maybe Derrick Henry comes back. Who the hell knows? And AJ Brown. Okay. Number 10. We'll close it out here. In our top 10, the San Francisco 49ers. Almost a tale of two seasons from the 49ers, Hayden. And now I finally feel like this is what Kyle Shanahan tried to build this offseason. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, an explosive running back in the backfield, and Jimmy Garoppolo doing enough over the middle of the field and you know, completing receptions to good playmakers. And that's what you get in today's game of beating the Minnesota Vikings 34 to 26. Debo Samuel, another just insane game with his carries. He's just so explosive and he runs so physically. Like he like legitimately looks like a running back whenever he has the ball. So um, he's going in for an MRI with a groin injury that that happened late in the game. He doesn't believe it's going to be overly serious, but like I've seen these groin injuries cost people weeks. So that'd be a big news for not only just like the 49ers, uh, offense in general, but Brandon Ayuk in fantasy, he had six targets that tied for the team league uh, with Eli Mitchell. And uh, yeah, it just, and for fantasy, it's going to be hard for all three of them to get there. Like 
For example, today, George Kittle, one catch for 13 yards. Um, but for the 49ers, just for themselves, I mean, this this offense is clicking right now. Like Jimmy G is, despite all of his faults, he's second EPA per play this year. Like not even like the sample. And that's not because of Jimmy G, but like that's just like how much firepower and how good of a system this is for him. And yeah. he can do just enough to keep moving the chains. And that's just been the, the story for like the last month. Okay, so the last five games, they put up 33 against the Bears, 31 against the Rams, 30 against the Jaguars, 34 against the Vikings. So yes, as a whole offensively, and to me that directly coincides with Brandon Ayuk being the starting lineup, yep. playing a full-time role, and George Kittle returning as well. I need to show you this passing chart from Jimmy Garoppolo because this is why I just cannot get on board with him as an individual, but here it does work, and that is inarguable, right? It's exactly what we saw against the Los Angeles Rams. Hey, defenses, force him to throw outside the numbers. Force it because everything is over in between the numbers and between the hashes. And that's it. I mean, the Rams, I can pull up that chart too from just a couple weeks ago. It was the exact same thing. You get these yards after catch opportunities. In fact, Hayden, in the first drive, he throws one absolute dime to, I think it was uh, Jennings. Yeah, Juwan Jennings. Great play. It's sandwiched by three awful throws, including an interception where safety's rotated down with Harrison Smith and he threw it directly at him. Now, the rest of the game, I'm not going to say it was flawless, but it was very, very good, including one third down that he fell away and completed Trent Sherfield. That was perfect coverage, perfect defense, perfect pressure, and, and he made the play. My only concern, and we have already seen this, and the goal is to win the whole thing, you have to like be nearly perfect with everything else around there. And then he has to win those like three or four or five moments for you to like go on this hot streak over and over and over again. And I, I can't bank on that. It's just crazy to me. And I don't know coaching. I don't know defenses that well. Why defenses just allow him to dice you up in the middle and not force to throw outside the numbers. I know that's easier said than done, but it's consistent here. It's consistent with the 49ers. I think it's because they're scared of this run game. And I think it goes with Eli Mitchell, who had another monster game. And to close out the year, they have the Seahawks, Bengals, Falcons, Titans, and Texans. So we're going to get some massive games from Eli Mitchell. He played through that finger injury, but had not only just 27 uh, carries, but he also had six targets. So, I mean, buckle up. If you have Eli Mitchell, you're going to be looking at RB2 plus numbers. And Nate Tice talked about this on his show that they do such a good job of delaying defenses by forcing them, them to think by like putting players in positions that you don't expect them to be like George could can play wide receiver. Brennan, you get points as like had his hand, in the dirt as a tight end, you know, Debo in the backfield, Eli Mitchell moving out there, Jeff Wilson as a lead blocker, Kyle use is moving everywhere. Right. So like the same personnel grouping can be out there. So that forces the same personnel grouping for defenses. Yet Kyle is on one in terms of orchestrating and, and creating. So as long as Jimmy G can be the executor, and not try to, you know, make throws he can't, then they're going to continue to win. I mean, they've won four of their last five. They're rolling. The middle middle linebackers facing the 49ers, like how much, how many hours of sleep do you think they get upcoming studying this? And they're just sitting there. It's like, what the hell am I supposed to do with any of this? I'll move out of the way and let you just throw it right where I was. Here you go. Go and do that. Let's talk about the Vikings though, because we don't have them much further behind the 49ers than people might expect. We have them at number 12. Now, a few issues here that have popped up recently. First, Danell Hunter is lost for the season. Now, Everson Griffin seems like he will be absent from the team for quite a while. 
dealing with off the field things. And Dalvin Cook exits this game in the second half with a shoulder issue after just getting 10 carries for 39 yards, 64 yards in the receiving game as well. Dalvin Cook has had a history of shoulder issues dating back to early in his NFL career, and especially during his time at Florida State. Was carted off the field, seeing an MRI on Monday. These premier players at premier positions, pass rushers, they have no one left. Running back, we love, we love Alexander Madison, but he is no Dalvin Cook. These are starting to stack up and preventing the Vikings from maybe going much higher on this list for me moving forward. Yeah, their defense is going to be tough to figure out, and but their offense is still just can still put up a ton of points, even if Dalvin Cook misses time, which uh, another little background on that, he dislocated the same left shoulder in 2019. So like, it's not just shoulder, it's like this particular shoulder. So who knows if he's going to be out there. Alexander Madison would go immediately up to the RB1 rankings. I know Kirk Cousins, he has a couple boneheaded plays. I mean, he lined up under right guard for a play, which in that force a timeout, there was a couple missed throws and Justin Jefferson I saw was really tilted about that. But if you just look at it, Kirk Cousins still just keeps putting up a ton of points. And with Justin Jefferson, and Adam Thielen, who scored another two touchdowns, when you have those two guys, I think that they are still going to be mixing in. I don't think that they're Super Bowl contenders or anything like that because their defensive line is going to have some problems, but Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen's good enough for me, at least in the top 15. Yeah, they're only five and six. They get the Lions, the Bears twice for the rest of the season. But then, you know, they have the Steelers, the Rams, and the Packers thrown in there. They might not even be playoff team. But I think you and I, maybe this is just, you know, why they're forcing up on our list. We want to discuss, like, just how special Kirk Cousins has been at points this season as a top 10 quarterback. And throwing to Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, that's a, a winning formula. But again, losing superstars at, at, at different levels hurts their chances of – they're frisky. They, they can, as we've seen, even in their six losses, all but one of their games, I think, this season have been one score. Yep. They, they you know, are a dreaded team to face, and they can keep it close with just about anyone all season long. So, All right. Baltimore is at number 11. Obviously, they are on Sunday Night Football right now. Um, the issue with them is we just really haven't seen what I would call the real Ravens offense, the real Lamar Jackson in a couple weeks. I can't wait to review the Sunday Night game to hopefully we have seen it against a, a talented, let's put it that way, Cleveland Browns defense. They're missing like eight starters on defense. That's like my biggest thing for the Ravens. So, yeah, we'll talk about them more on Tuesday and Thursday. Okay. Before we move on, I want everyone that is here to do us a massive favor and like and subscribe to this channel. We're on the goal, on the road to 10,000 subscribers. We're trying out this VOD instead of a live show. Um, so if you're enjoying it, smash the subscribe button. Helps us out. And we're here on Tuesdays and Thursdays as well. Those shows are staying untouched. This one will continue to be altered moving forward. Okay, <laughs> here we go. Next up, the Cincinnati Bengals at 13. Hayden, go out there, demolish the Pittsburgh Steelers 41 to 10. So we just talked about the Vikings. We have with a losing record ahead of the Bengals at seven and four. I believe the Bengals also beat the Vikings earlier this year. Maybe that's why I have them ranked ahead of Minnesota. Joe Burrow, 20 to 24, very efficient, 190 yards, one touchdown, one interception. 
the main man that I know you want to talk about, who at points has been the identity of this team despite how much they've invested in the passing game, Joe Mixon, 28 carries, 165 yards, and two scores. He played 35 of 39 snaps going into halftime, and this was just an all-time performance from him. He had 165 rushing yards, and our our pal Ian Harditz noted that 127 of them came after contact. So this was just Joe Mixon just running right over everybody. And even on the first drive, eight of the first 10 touches were to Joe Mixon. Um, He's just playing out of his mind. He's one of the best running backs in the league. And uh, the other thing I wanted to note was Joe Burrow. He still has to do prehab, and he's still kind of battling through his, his knee injuries but he at least put on a little bit of, of a move on Mika Fitzpatrick for a rushing touchdown. And he was primarily untouched the rest of the game outside of that. So this was just Joe Mixon. This is one of the, one of these teams that can win in both phases. And it's very cool to see that we got a, a big play out of T Higgins as well on this T Higgins play, just because we've talked about this. He's a very interesting uh, wide receiver. Cause I think he has like some clear strengths, some clear weaknesses, but on this, this was just off coverage he was one-on-one, and Joe Burrow just said, I'm going to throw it up. You have some size on him. And T. Higgins, what he's best at is some of these contested catches. I know he's been kind of up and down with that this year, but on paper his strengths is going up, and he had a long touchdown grab. So getting all the pieces in place, you can kind of see where like the ceiling of this offense could go, even for fantasy if that means that they're not going to have the, the super high pace and neutral pathway that we want. We're just seeing a bunch of star players winning – uh, in their defined roles. With Jamar Chase, I think this is four straight game of less than 50 yards, which is fine when you win. I mean, they just was not needed in the entire second half when this team was up 31 to three. Um, spoke about early in the season. I think he he individually can take credit for a lot of their early season wins and their early season su- success by being so hyper-efficient and running hot on those 20-plus yard passes. The R word, though, regression, popped into there. And I actually think in those 50-50 balls that we've talked about a lot with T. Higgins, we're seeing regression hit there, too, because he was only converting about 25 30% of those a season when that's you know a major part of his game. I'm glad he hit one today. I wouldn't be surprised if we see some more hit as, as we go along. And, yeah, I mean, while they don't have – and I kind of wonder if like we could smear away the, the Bengals logo and on some level, like – put another team on there and like maybe change some of the players' names because we don't view a lot of their offensive linemen as superstars. No one on defense we consider superstars as well. But every single week, man, it seems like they are competitive. They have opportunities. They can beat you in many different ways. And so I use those words and that vocabulary for you know highlighting a bunch of positives for other teams. Maybe I need to start doing it with the Bengals. But as soon as I get in, they lose me because they lose. They're just young. They don't show up. They are yeah, young. They're just I young. Good way of looking at it. Pittsburgh Steelers, we have at number 20. I think you have them even lower than I do. Yeah, I have them at 17. You have them at 23. Why? 23? I just watched this game. You haven't watched this game. When you, <laughs> if you're, when you rewatch this game, you're going to be moving them down. Big Ben looked really bad. There was uh, his first interception was a, a miscommunication. Uh, like just kind of a jump ball to Chase Claypool that went right to the defender. The other one was just a floater and just was obviously picked. And he just doesn't look right. There was a a play later in the game where he got hit from kind of behind when he was releasing the ball. And that's how he originally injured his elbow. And maybe it kind of 
mess him up a little bit here too. So yeah, he just didn't look right at all. Uh, Chase Claypool and Deontay can make some plays here and there. Najee Harris, we know what he's going to do for fantasy purposes, but this defense isn't quite as good as it once was. And big Ben looks exactly like how he was playing at the end of last year. And you have to think with these older players, they can kind of start out. Okay. And then just kind of fall apart. And I'm very worried that big Ben, the falling apart could like really start coming these next couple of weeks. Yeah. I mean, this is brutal. You talked about it on our uh, pregame show at 11 AM on Sundays that against the Bengals was when all the memes were made of him falling flat in his face. He basically did it again. He did yeah. it again in this game. Um, it's so funny when you look at those top right deep shots, I'm assuming all of those are Chase Claypool. They were. Uh, and and that's just the only time that Chase Claypool is allowed to get possibilities down the field is when he's the primary read one-on-one and, and Ben throws it downfield. Yeah. I mean, look, they're five, five and one. The reason I have them higher than some of these other teams is because one, you're about to see how disastrous the bottom half of this list is. And they actually have some players that, that can make plays and not just offensively, but defensively as well. So like in my head, if they were perfect for a game and Ben was accurate and getting the ball out quickly and making good reads pre-snap, because we know post-snap, that's not really a thing for him right now, then they can be threatening because you throw in Chase Claypool, Deontay Johnson, Pat Fryermuth, Najee Harris, TJ Watt, Minka Fitzpatrick. I keep going on and on with those names. So like maybe it's just a name brand thing while I rank them at 17, but that's tough to do when they're five, five and one and just lost by 31 points on a Sunday. Yeah. Whenever he sees something that he doesn't like pre-snap, it just immediate check down. And it's just like, you can only take it for so long. Los Angeles chargers. We have at 14. I mean, Hey, this one wasn't pretty either. You are all the way in on the chargers. Not to call you out back to back. You have them at 13. I've met 14. Yeah. So not, <laughs> not, not too much further ahead. I was trying to lump you in with your, uh, former employees, but they lost 28 to 13 to the Denver Broncos, both teams, six and five difference of five though, here in our rankings. Why? I mean, Justin Herbert, 303 yards, 44 attempts, two touchdowns, two interceptions. I'm starting to get the feeling, and maybe this isn't bear out. I need to look back on it. We're getting like hot and cold performances from this Chargers offense and the defense on a weekly basis just seems to let it go way too often. This game felt way more concerning than some of these other games. And a couple of reasons, uh, Matt Filer, the left guard, was out. And the backup was just absolutely olaying it. And that was miserable for Justin Herbert. But this was just a lot of just off coverage, zone defenses, two high things that like Vic Fangio has been doing for 45 years. And the Chargers just didn't seem very prepared for it. There was a, a couple of just... Uh, miscommunications on the offensive line. Uh, you still see some of these incredible throws from Justin Herbert, like outside the numbers throws that are just still so pure. Um, Austin Eckler made a couple plays. He now make a couple plays. Mike Williams had a absolute BS offensive pass interference. that got called back. Um, but it was just like way too often. They were just like in third and eight. And like, this has kind of been a little bit of a story. And I think that uh, early on when it was like the Belichick and uh Morning wag defenses where it's just like coming at you with blitzes. This was the exact opposite. And if right. you can't beat soft defenses or hyper aggressive defenses, then what are we doing here? So uh, I think it's definitely time to like start nitpicking all the things that that Joe Lombardi is doing. And uh, if you just look at like what he did for Matthew Stafford, that was like Matthew Stafford's years where his ADOT was way too low. And I think all of this can be summarized up with this team just doesn't have enough speed. 
And if you can't threaten vertically um, outside of just Justin Herbert running around making throws, then you're kind of limited offensively with just dinks and dunks. So he's going to be fine. But I think like this was the game where I'm like, okay, they are not Super Bowl contenders officially out of that market. Um, but it's still a young team. We'll see what they can do down the stretch. Yeah, I mean, they've lost four of their last six. It was just 14 to seven going into the fourth quarter. Uh, a interception that I believe hit off Austin at their shoulder, bounced up, was returned for a touchdown by, yep. I believe, Patrick Sertan, the second. Uh, that was a game changer, and, and that changed the outcome completely and made the scoreboard look much more decisive than the game flow expected it to. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just want them to unleash it. There's way too much stuff inside of 10 yards. And just like win or lose by his arm. Because right now you're also winning and especially losing by your defense. Because when they get in situations where they have to get a stop, a three and out, a six and out, a nine and out, whatever, just on runs where the Broncos and other teams are just able to continue to crank out these, you know, game ending clock bleeding drives. And I understand that like pass defense can be more important than run defense. But like when you can't get off the field to get the ball back to your offense, it's been a situation, an issue for the Chargers all year long. In some games, it's worked out for them, right? The Cleveland Browns is an example. But in many times, it feels like more times, and maybe that's just unfair, but just personally, it feels like more times they can't get off the field and then their offense isn't explosive either. That That's a, it's a bad combination between the two. Yeah, we always have to remember year one for Staley, year two for Herbert. So maybe we were trying to crown him, like me in particular, trying to crown him too early. Um, they're a year away, but there's still so much firepower. There was a couple of plays from German James in particular that he was like, yeah, that that's one of the premier talents. He had a diving interception. He he originally knocked Teddy Bridgewater out of the game with a um, sack fumble. Um, if you want to go to the, the Broncos next, a couple notes for our number 18 team. Denver Broncos, Dalton Reisner and Calvin Anderson, that's their guard in their left tackle. They both left this game early. It didn't end up mattering all that much. Teddy Bridgewater played uh, pretty well. He had an 11-yard scrambling touchdown. Um, uh, Drew Locke came in for a second and then immediately threw an interception on a play that he should have thrown the ball away. Who would have guessed that? a 14-point lead away. Yes. But eventually they got Teddy back in the game and then the the running game and the running backs in in particular just started – uh, coming in the post by rookie bump Javante kind of came into play. Melvin Gordon still started. He's still uh, played about half the snaps, but Javante came in had mm-hmm. a nine yard touchdown against a light box. Like what you're talking about. There's only like three down linemen uh, from nine yards out. And he just walked into the end zone, but the play of the game, and this is what's got to get you going a little bit. If you uh, are rostering Javante Williams ball to the flat one-on-one catches it, jukes this guy to oblivion, Go runs around them, shows enough burst for a long pickup there too. So you can see where Javante could easily start taking over for Melvin Gordon, but coming out of the bye, it was still that like 50-45 split between the two, but uh, they got to get Javante the ball more. It's just as simple as that. But how, I mean, it's not like Melvin Gordon is, is running badly. Right. He had 17 carries for 83. So while, you know, quote unquote, in a vacuum, I would love to get Javante more opportunities he was the team's leading receiver by over 30 yards in this game on just three receptions for 57. You're still getting him 14 carries. That's 17 touches. That's exactly the same amount as Melvin Gordon got while he had 18. So it's like split 50-50. Yeah. Do you want to make it a 70-30 backfield for Javante? Because it's it's successful. It's successful right now. 
Yeah, it's tough because Melvin Gordon is still playing pretty well. I love him. Yeah, I know. It, it, it's very tough. It's a good problem for the Broncos to have. Uh, it's a bad problem if you have their pass catchers, though, in fantasy. Your Judy because, Colton Sutton, 25, 17 yards. Yeah, and Tim Patrick is still involved, and it's just too many mouths to feed on offense that does not want to throw the ball at all. So it's going to be very volatile for all those guys. And even like Jerry Judy, it's just like, I don't know. I think there's going to be more of these games than like the, the 10, 15 target games for Jerry Judy. I don't know. Okay. We have the Broncos at 18. After that, it's teams that like I despise on some level in the Titans. Sorry. I know you're eight and four the Steelers, as we talked about the Dolphins, so on and so forth. Is this the line of like, Hey, I would willingly watch these teams on a Sunday is the Denver Broncos at 18. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I mean, again, they're six and five. Chiefs, Lions, Bengals, Raiders, Chargers, Chiefs. Chiefs twice in the final six games. Tough stuff. Tough stuff. All right. Cleveland Browns, 15. They're playing right now. About to be down. 10-0. Uh, the biggest issue for me is they've been injured a lot of this year. Had COVID situations. We know exactly who they want to be offensively. Great offensive line. Nick Chubb. Kareem Hunt. Defensively, at times... The new package and new players have been fun and exciting, but unlike I would say the Packers as a unit, it all hasn't come together quite the same. And then at the core of it, it can't just be like just the running game and offensive line. Baker's going to have to make plays. And I am absolutely certain that Baker Mayfield is holding this team back from hitting their ceiling this season. None of the defense will matter if they can't pass the ball. And it's not just Baker Mayfield for me. It's their wide receivers. Like Jarvis Landry is not a number one. He's all of a sudden number one. Like Anthony Schwartz, Jonathan Peoples-Jones, these guys aren't number twos either. Like this is just, I don't know how they're going to pass the ball enough. So they, they're watchable. And I think it's a smart organization. But yeah, it's middle of the pack. Yeah. I mean, and their last four games and three of them prior to Sunday Night Football. 10 points against the Steelers, seven points against the Patriots, 13 points against the Lions. That just uh, cannot cut it. Even if you can specialize in certain areas at one point, and I've talked about this with the 49ers, talked about with a bunch of other teams, your quarterback is going to have to make two or three plays to win the game for you. And maybe no quarterback that I question more in doing that right now than, uh, than Baker Mayfield. 16, Philadelphia Eagles. Losing effort here in week 12, Hayden. To the damn New York Giants, lose seven to thirteen. All of us have gotten excited about Jalen Hurts, Nick Sirianni, going from one of the pass heaviest teams in the NFL to yes, the team that runs the ball the most. Well, today Jalen Hurts, fourteen of thirty-one, one twenty-nine, and three touchdowns. The running game wasn't working early on; they were shut out for three quarters. And so again, we go back to your quarterback needing to make plays for you. And I guess he couldn't just do that with his three interceptions. Yeah, he was brutal. Like this was just like the nightmare performance for Jalen Hurts. Two of his interceptions were just not seeing a uh, free safety over the middle and just threw the ball up. And then the uh, second one was arguably even more egregious going into halftime. He throws the ball uh, where he should have threw it away. He throws it up with uh, two seconds left and that gets intercepted. That costed them three points. Um, it doesn't all fall on Jalen Hurts. I think it certainly mostly falls on him. He got zero help from Jalen Rager on the game-winning drive. He dropped two passes. Two. Yep. Brutal game from him. Uh, right guard Jack Driscoll, he was 
carted off. Jason Kelsey had a knee injury early on. He came back in later, but that's something to monitor. Um, and the run game was so-so. It wasn't as powerful. I think that part possibly because the blueprint is out there of like, you know what the Eagles are going to be doing, but also um, the offensive line just wasn't as healthy as, was, as it was prior. Uh, Jalen Hurts still got the, the zone read game going a little bit. He had a fine rushing game, but um, he it's going to be living or dying by – what, what he can do as a passer. And right now it was not very good. And as we've said, Devonte Smith will have to be, be hyper efficient on his targets. Cause there's just not going to be a lot of them just had four and only managed two catches for 22 yards. And you have the Jalen Rager stuff. Cruise ships don't come with hands and uh, drop two game winning scores at the end of that drive end of that series. Okay. Their opponents today, the New York giants, we have them at uh, at 26 went through a whole bunch of changes. Those changes resulted in a winning effort. But still, just you know, thirteen points. Thirteen points on a Sunday when you had ten the week before, twenty-three, seventeen. You know, I keep going on and on and on. I mean, I, I think this is twenty twenty-two. Looking ahead to the Giants and trying to question on what they are. But again, we have six or seven weeks left in their season. They tried to get Kenny Galladay going. They gave him a couple of jump balls in the end zone that just were bad throws by Daniel Jones. Uh, Saquon Barkley came in, got kind of his normal workload, five targets, 13 carries, but he only averaged 3.1 yards per touch because it's just the Giants offensive line is just so bad. And it's, there's not, there's, you can't fix it, uh, the rest of the season and the coaching staff there, it didn't seem like there was a big difference there. So they need Kadarius, Tony and Sterling Shepard back to have a chance because I just don't think that Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, Kenny Galladay, they just have not been overly efficient this year. Have to make decisions on Joe Judge. Have to make decisions on Daniel Jones. See ya. Have to make a decision on Dave Gettleman. They do have two first-round picks. Uh, you know, interesting times ahead for New York. And it felt like we just did this with them. Felt like we just did this with them. Okay, let's keep rolling. Talked about the Tennessee Titans at number 19, correct? Yep. Pittsburgh Steelers, we talked about it at number 20. Let's jump to number 21. The Miami Dolphins put a whooping on the Carolina Panthers, 33-210. Tua, 27 of 31, 230, one touchdown. And Hayden, what we're also seeing is Jalen Waddell creep out of the shadow of Jamar Chase during his rookie season, even of Devontae Smith, because he is on a heater. 10 targets, 9 receptions, 137 yards, and one score including, I believe, his longest play of his rookie season of 57 yards. was able to find some soft space between corners and safeties over the middle of the field, catch it, and run. I know he cost two first-round picks. Put that aside for the moment because Jalen Waddell is damn impressive in this offense, and he's only getting started. That play over the middle where he caught it and then just burst that field, I mean, like, there's only a couple of people in the freaking world that can do that, so... Um, super impressive win. Tua has certainly been playing better of late. The Dolphins defense as well has been playing better of late. Uh, and the next two games is the Giants and the Jets. So the Dolphins all of a sudden are at least in the playoff hunt. They can end up being seven and seven going into the final stretch here. So um, Tua has looked better. He looks at least competent 27 of 31 passing. This would have been one of the worst Panthers defenses performances of the year. Yeah, I mean, the team got a blocked punt early on. They had some awesome interceptions by Xavier Howard and another safety as well. I mean, they were set up for success, but 
I mean, this is one of those two games that you and I talked about heading into it. Like, if you don't sit on the stuff on the outside, if you don't tackle well, they can be successful. Despite, again, not having Devontae Parker, despite not having Will Fuller, despite having no offensive line. I mean, he was crushed. Early in this game, their first two series ended on third downs uh, on sacks. Like, he just cannot hold the ball on third and seven situations without the fear of his offensive line allowing immediate pressure. That's a tough environment to be successful in. And I'm glad we're giving a little credit here to Tua because he's on probably the best stretch of his professional career as well. Yeah, certainly. He just looks so accurate. That's like his his calling card. You have to put some pieces around him, but um, he at least looks serviceable. And that was like not a lock to be the case uh, early on. No. And I do wonder, thinking farther ahead, and we'll probably do this more on the show too, if like they cannot make a deal for Deshaun Watson because he doesn't follow through with like the qualifications they want him to to get that deal done, do you just stick with Tua for another year? You know, or yeah. do they go and and try to go after another name? Like, is it anybody but Tua, or is it just like Deshaun or Russell Wilson, and that's how you move off Tua? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean it's like kind of like the line. Like, would you not try to get a top five quarterback because you have the sixteenth best quarterback? Like. Yeah, I think you're just kind of in the middle ground there. Yeah, and don't give me – I mean, he's not Justin Herbert. He's not a lot of these young quarterbacks. But with a defense playing better as well, and th- this can be this can be a successful formula. Okay, right after them at 22, we have the Carolina Panthers. This – you're going to hear it all week, Kate, that uh, Cam Newton lost this game for the Panthers. Take it with a grain of salt because it's coming from me, but Cam Newton did not lose this game for, for the Panthers. Now – with that said, this might be the worst passing chart I've ever seen in my life. Uh, it was awful. Now, 164 yarder to DJ Moore allowed him to get to 92 yards. He was in, even benched in the second half of this game, Cam Newton was. But, you know, one of his interceptions to Robbie Anderson was behind, bad throw. But in the first drive, you know, two straight drops by DJ Moore ends that drive in a blocked punt, which sets up a short touchdown for. Miami, and then an interception to DJ Moore, who just has his route run by Xavier Howard, and that's another interception as well. So, like, yes, the Panthers are poorly constructed, bad quarterback play, all of that. I want to focus more on the team building, questioning Matt Rule and Joe Brady, their handling of Christian McCaffrey, more so than just saying, hey, Cam was 5 for 21 for 92 yards, and that's why they lost. Is that fair? That's definitely fair. I don't know. That's a pretty brutal stat line. I haven't I mean, watched this game, really so I have no idea. I mean, yeah, this is uh, – but my notes were that they are still committing to Cam Newton uh, through the bye um, as a starter. Christian McCaffrey left in a walking boot because he rolled his ankle. Um, we don't know the severity of that, but this is just a player that's been kind of going through it. So um, who knows what we're going to get from CMC the rest of the year. I'm expecting Cam Newton to come back out of the bye, but – the floor is low. I mean, the floor is just really low. It's one of these teams that they're really bad offensive line. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the offensive line, they tried to do what the Buffalo Bills did of prioritize average names that they thought that they evaluated well and Cam Irving and Pat Offline that they signed like the first hour for agency. One's hurt. One's not starting or it might be starting the center, but he was back up for most of the year. Um, They've spent so much on the defensive line. Brian Burns is a great pass rusher. Hassan Reddick is a great pass rusher. Morgan Fox was making plays early in the year. He's been a top seven p- 
pick on Derek Brown, a second round pick on Nieder Grossmite. So you going on and on and on that defense can't get off the field unless it's like a third down passing situation because teams are just running the ball on them. I mean, who the hell can the Dolphins put up 111 rushing yards on? They did it against the Panthers today on the ground. You know, like it is very like I understand the process and I like the process of what Matt Rule and Scott Fitterer have done in terms of Matt Rule prioritizing athleticism, Scott Fitterer acquiring picks, but the team builder process patience thing of Matt Rule and how he's handled the quarterback situation on top of the offensive line, defensive line absolutely needs to be questioned. Absolutely needs to be questioned. Yeah, they've spent a lot of resources on defense and zero on offensive line. So yeah. Seattle Seahawks, Monday night football, Washington football team. We also have as their opponents. That's 23 and 25 for each. We'll have more on them later in the week. We talked about the saints. We talked about the giants, the bears, Hayden, the bears were fun in moments this season. We have them at 27, but now that like Andy Dalton is a part of this team and these final, what? Five, six spots. I don't even want to watch the Chicago Bears right now. Yeah, we are in the unwatchable territory. Uh, Justin Field has, quote-unquote, cracked ribs. He seems kind of questionable for Week 13. We don't know yet. Um, the two players to watch on the Bears is Darnell Moody and David Montgomery. Darnell Moody had another great game on Thanksgiving, but the Bears' defense has completely fallen apart um, aside when they're playing the Lions. Uh, no Khalil Mack. Akeem uh, Hicks has been out as well, so it's just a team that's just kind of Limping through it, you can kind of see um, if Matt Nagy loses another game, it's just going to be completely over for the Bears. Yeah, I mean, rest of the way, we know Allen Robinson is only on a one-year contract. Darnell Mooney is in line to be, you know, the number one wide receiver on this team next year. We love his speed. We love his explosive playmaking, but he certainly doesn't have the profile of a quote-unquote wide receiver one for an NFL team. So there's a lot to prove there. And I mean, David Montgomery is getting 90% of the work and, not getting many yards out of it right now because the offensive line has a lot of issues. Atlanta Falcons here. Hayden, we have at 28. They're just a different team when Cordero Patterson is out there. It's crazy. And they're five and six. We probably have the Falcons way too low looking yeah. at that right now. I mean, we have them after the Carolina Panthers. Now, we'll say the teams that they've beat, not, you know, big troublemakers in the NFL. But Cordero Patterson today coming off a high ankle sprain. 16 carries, 108 yards, two touchdowns, the second leading receiver, two receptions, 27 yards. What a difference he is. He's insane. I, I haven't watched this game, but just the fact that he's able to do this on a high ankle sprain is super impressive. And he is the only way that they're watchable is just Kyle Pitts and Cordell Patterson. So it's but then simple as that. Kyle Pitts, just six targets, two receptions, and, and 26 yards for him. You and I have not mentioned the tight end rookie record for him in, in uh, quite some time, but hopefully with Cordell Patterson back in there, that opens some things up for, for Kyle Pitts. That's yeah. Cool. We had a week where Calvin Ridley could have returned, um, but it's still TBD um, yeah. probably most likely not going to return this year. Um, but yeah, that's just obviously taking a full layer of what the Falcons offense could be. Yeah. Some notes for us again, Falcons way too low because at five and six, we have them just one spot ahead of the team they played today in the Jacksonville Jaguars, 21 to 14. They beat the Jaguars. Um, yeah, I mean, Trevor Lawrence, 228 yards on, on 42 attempts. He's making some mistakes, but then when he's making good plays and good throws, some of his wide receivers are not running the correct routes or dropping passes. Offensive line is allowing immediate pressure. 
the whole construction right now is an awful feeling around the Jaguars, but you know this, I still have complete faith in Trevor Lawrence moving forward as an individual talent. Yeah, we'll see. It's impossible to evaluate him with this offensive line and wide receivers. We did get nine targets for LaVisca Chenault. You see that? For 30, uh, 33 yards. <laughs> right. So so we, we can now even move LaVisca Chenault down the rung of the totem pole behind Laquan Treadwell, who outproduced him today in four catches for 53 yards. Yeah. Uh, Dan Arnold left early with a knee injury. He did not come back in the game. That would be... Um, big news for the tight end one streaming list and potentially for LaVisca Chenault. But yeah, this Laquan Treadwell cannot get you eight targets. That's just like unserious offense. Talking about the coaching, James Robinson had 17 carries for 86 yards. Yes, lost a fumble. Looked like he was punished for it. And so then Daria Ogunbowale goes out there, drops a critical third down that was directly in his hands. And so is it worth it to punish the best running back on your team, probably the best skill position player on your team outside of Trevor Lawrence, uh, just because you want to get Daria out there because he uh, he made a mistake. It's one mistake. Get out of here. I know. New York Jets did not get to watch this game yet, but we saw Zach Wilson come back, Hayden. And Zach Wilson was able to lead his team in to victory over Houston Texans, 21 to 14, just 24 attempts, 145 yards, one interception, four sacks. That sheet does not look great at all from his coach. He quote unquote managed the game. The rookie quarterback did. He also got banged up, but by the box score, by what I was seeing on Twitter, by red zone, we are uh, losing production all over the place to all the scholarship players that we are getting excited for. Like Elijah Moore, pre Zach Wilson's return. Zach Wilson had a 4.2 a dot. He had oh, an 18th no. percentile EPA per play, 16th percentile completion percentage over expected. So we got the most or the worst of both worlds where he's not throwing the ball downfield and he's inaccurate. So uh, it's certainly something to monitor. He was clearly limping late in the game. He said that his knee is still quote unquote unstable. I don't like hearing that, um, but they're still trotting him out there. So, who knows with Elijah Moore, you like to see the eight targets, but obviously big asterisk when it's eight targets on the Jets and Corey Davis, who knows if he's going to come back. But yeah, this is uh, the big takeaway I had from this. The box score was Tevin Coleman, 16 carries, three targets. He's the guy over Ty Johnson. You truly do hate to see it. Your team is 100% effed if you have to start Tevin Coleman, but he is the guy to own in this backfield. We close out the bottom of the barrel the bottom of the wine bottle with the Houston Texans at 31, the Detroit Lions at 32. Anything you want to say about either of these teams? We got a Brandon Cooks touchdown on a long 40-yarder. Did absolutely nothing besides that. The entire offense did absolutely nothing besides that other than Brevin Jordan. I think it was a third down reception that he scored on a 13-yarder as well. That's it. That's all we get from Houston. Their two wins this season. Yep, I had the one note. Is that was a pretty sick grab by Brandon Cooks, and that's that's all I got. Okay, I'd like to see some more Nico Collins moving forward. I mean, apparently this was another awful Tyrod game. We've seemingly got like what two of those in the last three weeks as well. All right, the issue with the show too, Hayden, is we're just going to end on negative notes because we talk about all these things <laughs> we don't want to talk about at the end. All right, that's going to do it for us. You can always check us out on the podcast feed. In fact, this very show that you're watching on Monday will be up earlier on the podcast feed. So go and listen to that. Just search for the underdog football show and whatever podcast platform you use. 
We'll be back here on Tuesday for the Fancy Usage Show. Much more detail, micro, usage, watching the games, figuring out the breakouts before they happen. We'll be back here on Thursday for a game-by-game preview show for week 13. Lucky number 13. What's up? How many five stars are we going to get committed to USC in the next 48 hours? That's that's the question I want answered. Lincoln Riley season, baby. It'd be cool if we got more five-star reviews than five-star recruits to, to USC. That'd be very, very cool. We're so back. Love to see it. <laughs> Love to see it. All right. Again, we are still uh, working on this show, so we appreciate your patience sticking with us, but that's the uh, startup life, and we're enjoying it. We're enjoying it ourselves. If you've never tried it, go and try Battle Royales. Pick them. We also have sophomores and juniors up on Underdog as well. I'll be mentioning that more and more moving forward. It's just second and third year players for the 2022 season. It's to get ahead early with these draftings like Jonathan Taylor, some forgotten players like Cam Akers. You know, go and try that out. Deposit anything, we match it. Use promo code the show and we double your deposit. If you are a first time depositor, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 59, whatever you want to do. Thanks for liking and subscribing down below. For Hayden Winks, I am Josh Norris. Up the villa. Talk to you soon. See ya.